At General Motors, we make more than electric vehicles. We're helping to make the world a safer, more inclusive place for all. As the first automaker to support the Equality Act, General Motors celebrates and embraces diversity every day, especially during Pride Month. Which is why we're proud to team up with iHeartRadio to support Can't Cancel Pride and the LGBTQ plus community. Because everybody in means everybody. Learn more at GM.com. At First Commonwealth Bank, we know better banking begins with better ways to do the things you need to do. That's why we've made it easy to open a new First Commonwealth checking account with our simple-to-use mobile account opening. Now, the same device you use to talk, text, snap, share, schedule, email, navigate, and watch can help you open a great checking account, too. Visit fcbanking.com from any device and upgrade your digital banking to better with mobile account opening. First Commonwealth Bank. Member FDIC. He's got a bucket of hot KFC chicken. Except there's a gun in the KFC chicken. Welcome, guys, to Talk Murder to Me. Good to be back. Yes. I feel like I've I've been in withdrawal because this episode's been pushed back a couple of times. I know. But I'm glad that we're here. Me too. We're finally recording. We're back. And John, how's your back going? My what? How's the back going? It's good. You know, the whole Harry Potter book three thing. I get to chapter five. Chapter five. Wow. So, fans of Talk Murder to Me, I think we need to do a little bit of shaming for John. No, that's not fair because you guys get out of your bet. Shame. You guys should be happy. I mean, we... Shame. Yes, we're happy because we, by default, like, win the next bet. But that's not just how bets work. Supposed to fulfill bets. So, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking the porcupine. Is it porcupine, porcupine? How do you guys say it? I say porcupine. Sometimes I say porcupine. I, yeah, I feel like I kind of say that. Yeah, porcupine. But when you when you slow that down, it's porcupine. Yeah. Porcupine. Well, let's take porcupine. a sip. Porcupine. Have you ever started saying words and then stopped saying words? Yeah. Because you realize what they are? Or that just they, they sound really weird. Yeah. Like Fork. swam. Fork. Swam. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Ted in the episode of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> but anyway, so the is hint was porcupine. This? See, I said porcupine. It um, smells good. It is. So you take some pineapple juice. Oh, that's good. You simmer it with some fresh rosemary. Uh, bring it to a boil, then let it simmer down. Cool, chill it for between one to forty-eight hours. Um, and then combine it with some pale ale beer and champagne. Oh, so that's what was in the fridge this morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, when did Nicole have time to make soup? And why didn't I know about it? Nope, it was... It was this. It was you know what it brewed remi- pineapple. You know what it's, it reminds me of in a weird way and just mm-hmm. like very, very slightly? You know that punch, the sherbet punch? Yeah. It almost tastes like that. Mm-hmm. Do you get that? Mm-hmm. Do you know what we're talking about? I do. No. Oh, you wouldn't. You're not from the north. He's also just not fun. Thank God. He's a fun sucker. I am fun. No, we said fun sucker. Um, But yeah, I mm. used to love drinking that on Christmas Eve. We'd go to this party, and they would always have it. And I kind of want some as an adult right now. 
Well, if we do a New Year's party, which I'm sure we will because we don't go anywhere, um, we can do that. Be perfect. New Year's Christmas? Did you see any Christmas or New Year's? New Year's probably. Oh, okay. Surprise shots! Surprise shots! We don't know what they are because they were surprised. All right, pick the surprise shot this week. It looks a little light pink. Am I am I correct? You are. In my You are. Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers. That sucks. Yeah, I didn't like that. It tastes like medicine. Yeah. Was it cotton candy? No. Toppers. Oh, another toppers rum. White chocolate raspberry. Rum. Oh, okay. You know what? I did think I was kind of thinking maybe it was a rum. I didn't. Ha- I mean, I didn't hate it. Well, good because I have a whole bunch more. <laughs> the, the hint this week is porcupine, John. What? 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 What's going on with this? Yeah. So, Jen, yeah. Nicole, I told you today's episode. The hint was porcupine. Porcupine. Yeah. That's a walrus. That's tusk. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Porcupine. So tell me, what do you think it's about, Jen? Someone gets shot with a nail gun, but like it's like the actions of a porcupine shooting out its quills. Like a Hellraiser, that movie Hellraiser, where he's got all the nails sticking out of his face. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking, I was going to say, like, it has to do with Sonic the Hedgehog, and then I realized that porcupines and hedgehogs are not the same. (laughs) No, and plus I would never use a trademark character like that. Because I could have used Mickey Mouse for this, as we'll talk about later, but I don't want to get sued. Hmm. Interesting. That changes my location. It shouldn't. Trust me. Okay. Go ahead. What's your location? Don't change it because of that. I didn't that. give my guess. Yeah, Nicole didn't give her guess. You just said something about Sonic All the right, Hedgehog. fine. That's my guess. No. Sonic the Hedgehog. No. Nicole gets a real guess. Well, guess. Now she's sad. You have saddened her. Um, s- s- a murderer kills his victims by throwing porcupines at them. In I their like face. In their face. And you've never heard of this story before. That is something you would never... A serial killer going around throwing porcupines, and that didn't even make BuzzFeed. Like in Mario Kart when they when they throw the turtle yes. shells out. <laughs> um... Uh, okay, I think it's happening in Kansas. What in... year? I was gonna say, but I'm not going to. So change it to 1994. I'm gonna go with. Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Where's that? That is in western, northwestern United northwestern States. States. Um, and I'm going to say 1984. Ooh. Okay, George Orwell. This mountain range that we're going to talk about is 160 miles wide. The Appalachian a- Trail. No. It's the Rocky the- Mountains. No. Sierra Nevadas. No. I didn't know those were actually... A 160-mile-wide dome of more than 100 peaks. Now, this mountain range isn't a normal mountain range. It's in a circle. The Smokies. No. Here's where we're going. 
Adirondack. Oh, New York. Yeah, New York. So the very top of New York, the Adirondack Mountains. What did I say? Adirondack? I don't know, like Oregon or something. No. No, I said Oregon. Which, I don't know if I like Oregon or Oregon. I don't know. Oregon. I change that a lot, too. So, how many episodes do we have? Published or total? Totes, Jen. 23. <gasps> it's my lucky number. So, out of all 23 killers that I have researched... This one is my favorite. Really? Ooh! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. Super short comes back Thursday. All right, here's where we're going. This spot is where we're starting off. This one spot. Is this where a body was found? Talkmurder.com. Click on evidence photos to see all the pictures. Okay, has anybody ever been to this spot specifically? No, no. we said we haven't been there before. I'm talking about this grassy area. No, we have not. All right, go to talkmurder.com to see the grassy area I'm talking grassy about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so over 40 years ago, we're going to 1976. Mm. I was going to guess earlier than I did, but it still would have been wrong. I was going to say 1941. All right, the Adirondack Mountains. Okay, let me just go ahead and throw it out there. What do you think the number was the number two um, critter is in the Adirondack Mountains? Porcupines. Porcupines. The number two critter. Yeah, so the Adirondacks, what is a Mohican term for porcupine. They don't know the word porcupine. They know bark eater. So bark eater translates to them to Adirondack. I thought those were beavers. There, No, there are beavers there, but porcupines is what they're talking about. Yeah, bark but eaters. I didn't know that porcupines ate bark. I thought beavers ate wood. Okay, 1976, July 29th. Because baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. That's because of the mountains. That was good. Yeah. Thank you. So, how'd that sound? Good. All right. That's not very convincing. If you go to Adirondack Mountains, even today, you go there to camp. There ain't no one living there. It's a camping place. Mm. It's a circle of mountains that you go to camp and see pretty fish and bears and canyons and birds. And porcupines. And porcupines. And hopefully you don't go there with the intention of getting murdered. I don't think anyone has the intention of getting murdered. July 29th, 1973. Four friends camping just like everyone else. Now this is the hippie era. 60s, 70s, early 70s. They're camping in the Adirondack Mountains during the weekend. It's nice and hot. They're out there. It's the middle of summer. You know, they're. this is the exact spot. If you go to talkmore.com, you see the exact spot that they were sitting in. They had a little pop-up tent here. They who? Four teenagers between the ages of 18 and 23. 
All college male, female. There were one. There was one female and three guys. Mm. So she gets killed. Clearly, is that what you think? Mm-hmm. What do you think? First one to die. No, one of the rules from a scary movie, um, uh, or maybe no, it was in Scream. The too. black guy gets killed first. Yeah, the black guy gets killed first. Then the women. Um. Then no, it ha- doesn't have to do necessarily with women. It's who's lost their virginity. Um, in the film or recently? Yeah, like, no, 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 like in, yeah, in the movie. This is like the rules. Because this is um, what Jamie Kennedy's character like goes through. The rules of how to survive a serial killer. And it's like, don't be black. Don't have sex. I can't remember all of them. Don't be a woman. Okay, so four campers. All really good friends. Spending the night. It's early morning. All the dew is on the grass, and they hear the buffalo in the background. Really? That's not what a buffalo is. Or the caribou. The four campers, they just, they didn't even wake up yet. And they hear a rustling in the grass. Now, they're actually right, this... You can't see the road from this picture, but they're pretty close to the road. The road is as if, as if we were standing at those trees and looking towards us. Yeah, what Jen said. They hear some rustling in the grass, and then before they know it, the zipper of one of the tents opens up. From the outside? Yeah, from the outside. Someone has opened their tent, and they're scared, but... They just think it's a conservation officer or whatever. Right. They see a guy, and he looks like a conservation officer. Oh, so they're right. Yeah, so they're right. He's like, thank God, right? And then they're like, "Uh, maybe we can't be here or something. The man that they see, he has a hunting rifle. He's got like a vest or whatever. Like He's a woodsman. He looks like a... A ranger or something, park mm. ranger. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you guys, come on, get out the tent. Now get out the tent now, boys. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. What about the girl? And girl, get on out in the tent now. And they get out the tent. Now they're circled around this little patchy area on this picture. And he says, what he tells the kids, these are kids, 18 and 23, he says, listen. This can go either one of two ways. Is I have killed a lot of people in my life. And I am really close to killing you guys. Well. But I just need to steal your gas from my car. Maybe like a PB&J sandwich or something like that. He said something like that. Like... I'm a I'll I'm not beef jerky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to kill you, but I need to get I'm, I'm going to steal your supplies. And he says I've killed plenty of times. In fact, the FBI is looking for me because I've killed so many people. So what do you think happens? That's quite the confession. He kills them. Duh. Mm-hmm. All right, so or he tries to and he takes them to this tree. And the all right, talkburn.com see the tree. It's literally just tree, but you can see it. Like, how do they know it's this tree? Because really interesting story, which I'll point out later. The main news reporter for this entire case, Jim Tracy, 
he took all these pictures, and he's been following this case ever since it started going on. Hmm. And in fact, he's... I'll go ahead and tell you his story. So, well, no, I can't now. Remind me to tell you about his story. Right. It's very important. So, this tree, he took a picture of this tree. Now, do you see the blue line on the tree? Yes. Okay, that is the blue line that the police use to mark it as the murder tree. This picture looks very clear for something that was taken in 1973. No, the the guy, the reporter, he's writing a book that is still not out yet about this case. So he went to all these areas and took pictures. This picture oh. was like two years old. Oh. So is this guy writing because there's because there were recent things that came up from this case? No, there wasn't recent things that came up. It's just a very interesting case. This case that I want to talk about, this entire thing, is the most fascinating case, murder case, I you will ever hear, and you've never even heard of it. Well, all Here, right. The one that we most, one that we most, most interesting case that we've heard of so far, or the most interesting case you'll ever hear of. Well, that's sad. All I don't right. want to peek here. Yeah, me either. Thanks for listening to Talk Murder. I hope you enjoyed our 22 episodes. The guy. Now he... What are you doing? My nose is itchy. Jen. I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? I can't pick my nose. That's gross. Okay. So now the guy is like... Okay. You guys come over here to this tree. That one tree. Mm-hmm. And he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Because I don't really trust you guys. That's what the killer is saying. I don't really trust you guys. You guys are going to run, you know, after, and you're going to tell me that I'm still in your gas. So I'm going to tie you up to this tree. I'm going to tie all you up to this tree. No, wait, hold on. I have a rifle. So I have my hands full. So you tie each other up and I'll supervise. So the kids, the three guys, three boys and a girl start tying each other up. They're all on separate trees. And the girl doesn't actually see. She can't see because she's like in front of this tree. Right? So she can't see what's going on. But there's probably like one or two. It doesn't really get into it. It's probably like two tied up to a tree. This tree alone had one person tied to it. Now there's four. Three boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Now they tie everyone up to the tree. Except the girl. No, the girl's tied up, too. They're just tied to different trees. But, yeah, so... So the boys are tied to the same tree, and she's tied... To- no, they're all tied to separate trees. If I were a person that was being asked and, like, told by a kidnapper or potential murderer or whatever to, like, tie each other up, like, go ahead, you do it. Well, is he, like, is he watching closely? Because otherwise I'd, I would, like, not tie them very tight so that no, he's my watching. captor can... Oh, bullshit. You would tie mine super tight. Right now, I would. Okay, so they're all tied to separate trees. Now, yeah, they do tie each other, and that's what they do. They tie each other kind of loosely, you know, maybe a slip knot or whatever. Just hold on loosely. They're all tied up to separate trees, not very tightly. So there's one boy, Philip Domblowski. He was tied to this particular tree. Mm -hmm. Now, he was being defiant. You know, he was probably like, you ain't going to kill us. I'm going to kill you. 
As soon as I get out, he ropes. That's what he said. Mm. And then the killer killed him, which I'm going to name later. The killer got enraged because Philip Downblasky was being so defiant. So he took his buck knife and stabbed him right in the chest. Mm-hmm. So now the girl, Karen, can hear what's going on. But, you know, the killer promised, hey, I'm not going to kill you guys. I'm just going to steal your stuff and tie you up just so you don't, like, run after me or whatever. Right, right. So she says, what's going on over there? Because she can hear him gargling, like, oh, oh, no, oh, yeah, gross. Like, stabbed him right in the chest with a buck knife, big-ass buck knife, right in the chest. So she's like, what's going on over there? You know, and then the killer says... It's okay. I'll be done in a minute. <laughs> That's what he says. That's weird. And then he finishes Philip Dombolowski off by stabbing him straight in the heart. With a buck knife. Probably like literally went through his entire chest because that knife was like huge. It was a buck knife killing books. All right. So yep, yep. one down. Three in the gang left. Yeah, so what do you think happens to the rest of the gang? They all die. They all die. No, they don't. Really? They immediately see what's going on. Karen's freaking out. And they escape. Wow. They get out of their self-tied ropes. Mm -hmm. Do they kill the killer? They don't kill the killer. They run to shit to safety. And they go to this little store right here. Lake House. Okay, this was formerly... Vaudron's restaurant, a former restaurant in New York, Hamilton County. Now, this is where 20-year-old Nick Filarello, one of the kids that was there, he was also a hippie, not that it matters. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but isn't um, the Amish community, wasn't that also Hamilton County in Ohio? I don't don't know. Was it? I I think it was. But I think it's a different Hamilton County. Yeah, I know. It's in Ohio. I'm just saying coincidence. Interesting. Maybe there's a curse of the Hamiltons. Okay, anyway. um, Alexander Hamilton. We definitely talked about Hamilton County somewhere because I know I sang Hamilton. All right, so Philip Dombolowski was murdered on July 29th, and then his three friends ran to this former restaurant. Now, I was looking online, that reporter I was talking about, Jim Mm -hmm. Tracy, his Mm -hmm. Facebook page, and there was someone that commented, so you can read what this person commented, okay. and I'll put this on the website, but about this thing. So read that. Susan Benares Eckert. I remember this well. I was 16, and we were staying at our summer homes on Lake Pleasant in spe- Speculator when this happened. Speculator is the, town, the nearby town. Mm. Interesting town name. Mm-hmm. This place, pictured, is less than 10 miles from where we were. I will never forget that summer with people walking around, even in the Christian camp of Camp of the Woods and Speculator with guns. No, I I wonder if Speculator, it got that name because there was like a gold rush there or something. Maybe. Like Speculator. That was a wild summer. Mind you, back home in Westfield, New Jersey, just two years prior, John Emil... List had murdered his entire family about two miles from my family home, then was caught by America's Most Wanted 18 years later on the lamb that long. I don't know what that even means. What are they talking about? 
They didn't find the bodies for a month. By the way, murder never happened in either place, never before or after these two incidents. Crazy teenage years for me. That's just some rando on Facebook. I guess, like, she lived really close by. So she commented on this restaurant that she remember uh-huh. used to. It's like kind of a little wharf restaurant. Yeah, like a boathouse. Yeah, boathouse restaurant. Except so this one's called the Lake House. Yeah, so they ran to this restaurant. Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And they, they ran to this restaurant, and it's not like, hey, can I have a table? No, they run in, and it's like, help! Our friend, Philip Dombolowski, just got murdered with a buck knife. And now they're screaming, yeah, in this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, July 29th, 1973, begins... The largest manhunt in New York history for a serial killer. Well, not a serial killer. They didn't know he was a serial killer. They just heard he him was say that. the first one ever to be called a spree killer. Hmm. Yeah, he was a spree killer. Okay. So now you got this guy. So that means he kills multiple people in each. Yeah. Like instance, Location right? Or. This this manhunt that I'm going to talk about lasted 12 days, and it was nationwide, worldwide. They could not find this guy, and he was running around the Adirondack Mountains. He was a woodsman. I was going to say. He knew how to live on the land. He knew how to eat berries, mushrooms, and snakes. Gross. And he was killing people. Where was he when we had the snake in our garage? When they they were 12, 12 days go by. And they knew he was, those 12 days, he was killing people. And it took 12 days, over 200 police officers. It had, like, the FBI, they had helicopters, they had they had locals. There was local people. And vigilantes forming to try to catch this one man. How about the Mohican Indians? How many people did he kill in the 12 days? Uh, I'm going to get to that. Okay, this picture is the Sand Lodge on Robs Creek Road in Hamilton County where the killer, who I'm going to go ahead and name, his name was Robert Francis Garrow. Three names. Three names. Well, okay, yes and no. I believe, all right, so I saw an interview with one of the police officers on YouTube and he says the reason they gave him the name Robert Francis instead of just Robert Garrow, they, the reason they use his middle name is because there's a, a really influential Robert Garrow that is like a really good guy <laughs> and not a freaking killer. Yeah, maybe to like specify. <laughs> yeah, and not a freaking killer. So, so this is where he abandoned his car. It's ran out of gas. Hmm. He a really day later. So this literally. Oh, yeah, all right. He said he needed it. Yeah. What I'm showing you now is where the spot where he kept Robert Garrow captured another one of his victims, Dan, Danny Porter. And his girlfriend, Susan Pets. Now, he killed Porter in the woods and then he took Pets with him to a different location in the Adirondack Mountains oh, for four days. The second location. Mm-hmm. For four days where he sexually abused her, raped her, and then ultimately killed her. Right? 
Um, so go. Ahead. This is a rando Facebook post. Wow, hard to look at knowing that this is the road that my cousin was killed on. Danny was my second cousin. So that's from Darla Porter. The guy that was killed by Robert Garrow was Danny Porter. So that's the cousin. So it's kind of crazy, like, you know, your second cousin seeing the actual picture of the road that your cousin was killed on. This is Robert Garrow. He looks creepy. Uh, he has funny hair. Yeah. It, like, it's almost like, um... Clown hair. Um, I was going to say he reminds me of the guy from The Grinch. Um, oh, yes. The mayor the of mayor. Hugo. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. His father, growing up, he grew up in a very terrible, terrible household. 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 Very terrible household. So his father was a raging alcoholic. So, like, when he got home from doing his work, and they had a farm, too, so he was also a farmer. If he was home... At his house, he was drinking or getting drunk, completely wasted. And then he was very, very abusive. Now, Garrow had three other siblings. Mm. So Garrow was the boy, and then there was the other ones, other children were girls, right? Mm -hmm. Was he just, like, physically abusive, or were we talking, like, sexually as well? No, physically Okay, so the father and the mother, the mother, Garrow's mother, was 5'7", 290 pounds, and she had a hair-trigger temper. She, every, 290 and, pounds Yeah, she was five, huge. Seven. Wow, that's even bigger than me by, like, a lot. So, like, she was, she was known around town as being Yikes. very, like... She, I mean, anything would spark her, her anger, and she would just lash out. I wouldn't want to get in her way. His his father... It'd be like running from the boulder on Temple Run. <laughs> That's a good game. His father and mother beat Robert with everything that they could find. Sticks, rocks, they threw rocks, they hit rocks into his face, they threw bricks at him. They hit him with a crowbar. They they beat him so bad on multiple occasions because his sisters would later testify this. They beat him so bad with a crowbar on multiple occasions that he went unconscious Mm. and they continued to beat him. Mm. Were they abusive to the daughters as well? No, just him. Mm. Now, like... The cops, the police were always called to the house to break up the fights, you know. I hope they would do more than just break it up, but I guess No, but this is the 70s. Like, I don't think they cared back then. Well, even still, it was the 70s, which wasn't that long ago. That's only the generation before us. I don't think they had child protective services. Every day, Robert woke up at 4 a.m., worked on the farm, before he went to school, most of the time he probably didn't even go to school. They worked him to death. He only had four hours of sleep at night because they he would work till 11, wake up at 3, work on the farm. And then they actually 
made him work at other people's farms too, and the mother just kept the money. Like they were not good mm-hmm. people. That reminds me kind of of the um, Demore. De how do we say it? Oh, Demore. Oh, oh, from episode two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Obviously, Robert Garrow had no friends. He had no girlfriends. He's never been on a date. Hmm. Never anything. He's known nothing but a life of an alcoholic, highly abusive relationship with his parents. All right, so most of this guy's life will be known to the public from firsthand accounts once he testifies himself and then his siblings his sisters because no one believed him when he told all these stories yeah my father used to beat me unconscious with a crowbar Mm. no one believed him yeah they thought he was just pleading insanity which he was but then his sisters got up there and testified to everything he said and said yes my mother and father used to physically beat him unconscious with anything that they could find handy you know, and then my father, my father was a complete raging alcoholic. Did he kill his parents? No, he didn't kill his parents. Why do you think they call it a crowbar? I don't know. They could have named it after any bird or any other animal for that matter, but they called it a crowbar. The accepted etymology identifies the first component of the word crowbar with the bird name crow perhaps due to the crowbar's resemblance of the feet or beak of a crow the first attestation of the word is dated back circa 1400 huh wow well alright thanks for looking that up John yes thank you John okay so Robert Garrow, at the age of 10, so all this is coming in the court when he finally goes to court, because they caught him eventually. I'll tell you how they caught him. But once they catch this guy, now he's on court and he testifies everything. And he says, my father and mother used to beat me senseless. I was worked to death. And at 10 years old, I didn't have a, a girlfriend. I didn't have any friends. But I did have... I did have some furry friends of some sheep, sheep, horses, dogs, cattle, and some nights, some long nights. Mm-mm. Oh, no. No, no. No. Some, no, no, no. Oh, some no. lonely, lonely is the night. Oh, no. Oh, Robert Garrow got busy. With some farm animals. Oh, no. And he continued getting busy with farm animals <sighs> until he was 16. Oh. Everything from dogs. <gasps> no, that you, no. that's the worst. To sheep, to, to even a horse. Ew. A calf. Oh. Probably like a little baby calf. No. Like, me, me. Robert Garrow's coming for that booty hole. Ew. Oh. oh, my God, that's so gross. <laughs> he defiled those poor baby farm animals. So, but that was all he saw all day long. He was working the farm. Know. It doesn't matter if that's all yeah, he it's saw. Gross. It's disgusting and wrong. Now, is he taking, are you saying he's taking the stand? 
when he, in, he in his trial, insanity, he said he pled insanity and he disclosed but, everything and no one believed okay, him. But he wasn't actually on the stand he, because he disclosed it to his lawyer. The yeah. prosecuting lawyers said, "All right, so he says, um, wait, he actually describes to the prosecuting lawyers." Of course I had to fool around with calves, horses, and cows. That's what he says. And then the lawyer, the prosecuting lawyer, cuts him off because he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's like, what do you mean, fool around? What are you talking about? Everyone was in shock when they finally figured out, yeah, he was having sex with these animals. That's, I don't understand. And then, so he was pleading insanity. But... All these accounts are true because his sisters testified. So if it's insane, so if his sisters are testifying that all these things happened, does that make him not insane? No, it helps his case. If they if if he's pleading insanity for the reasons that he lists, and then they testify in his behalf, it helps his case. Yeah, because if he was to get up there and be like, "I'm insane. My dad used to beat me," and then his sisters are like, "No, he didn't," you know. Mm. But like his dad beat him with bricks until he's unconscious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so when he was... But he seems so, like, when people... I don't, like, I have a... Pro- like, not just... I'm not saying that I have a problem with people pleading insanity, because obviously mental illness is a, is an issue. Um, but I don't know. when If he is kind of disclosing all of this information, to me, that sounds like... But he is screwed up. He got beat literally almost to death every day of his life. His childhood was is there a wreck. A difference though between being screwed up and insane. Yes, I, I, I don't have a problem with him disclosing this information if he, if his, if his experience created some sort of disorder and the disorder, his mental state, was the causation of him committing those crimes. That's fine, but it if probably he, helped it. But if, if. If those two were unrelated, like, yeah, that's messed up that that happened. But if it's not related to him committing the murder or murders, then 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 that's when I have a problem with. I really doubt if Robert Garrow grew up in a loving home, he would have done all these murders. Uh, And by all these, I mean. Estimated reports, because no one knows the estimate is 28. Wow. Mm. Okay, so not only did he have intimates Ugh. he copulated with sweet sweaty uh, relationships like, stop saying that with far- That's his own weird. farm animals like i think about like eating a lamb chop and i was like no i wouldn't have no. sex with that that's you know, just gross i don't think i've ever well, yeah, had a lamb chop other than euros oh my god lamb chops are my favorite thing i've never had them You'll have to make them oh, one time because I'm sure. Oh my god, so good! Better than the bison. Okay, maybe I don't think anything is better than Hall's bison. All right, not only did he have sweet, savory, uh, loving, intimate relationship with his own farm animals, he had it with other farm animals too, and other people's farms. Can I make you guys watch Rocky Horror Picture Show this October? I've seen that. It's I've never seen it. Awful. I'll watch it. Cool. It's you might not like it the ridiculous. first time he sees it. No, it's, I didn't like it the tenth time I saw it. It's weird. It is weird, but it, I like it. All right. Anyway, um, so the police were called multiple times to the house to break up the fights between Daddy and Son. 
Zaddy. Now, 15 years old, Robert Garrow finally Did says, I had daddy? enough. Dad, I had enough. And he punches Dad right in the knockers. I meant not the knockers, but his teeth and his oh. face. He punches him in the face. <laughs> he punches Dad right in the face at 15 years old. Do it, Jen. I can't. I It didn't work. Well, we're not going to move on to you do it. Okay, so after that, now he's only 15, so they sent him to reform school because you can't be hitting your daddy. You're going to be hitting your daddy, boy. Now, after reform school, he went straight into the Air Force. He's going to straighten his life out, oh, the Air military. Force. Army of One. No, wait, what's the Air Force slogan? No, I know the Off Air Force. We into the wild blue yonder. I just thought it was pretty boys with nice bases. He joined the Air Force, but only lasted one year. Wow, isn't that four year commitment? It is a four year. Well, it depends. You know, it depends on they your job. Booted. They well, they yes, they did, but he got caught stealing money from a superior officer. Oh, that's bad. Which they get paid too much anyway, Shit. so fuck it. Um, That's still really bad, though. So he got sent to Florida prison to do six months in prison. And, of course, his Air Force career is over. So he's already fucking his life up. Um, Yeah, pretty much any time you go to prison, you're kind of fucking your life up. Mm-hmm. Six months in Florida prison. He escapes. Ooh. Now, this is going to be a... Yeah. Keep that in that mind. Coming. Keep that in mind. He escapes. Should and then they find him. There. They find him three days later, and then they... Ship him down to Georgia prison, put him in there for a year. Ooh. And he does his time there. Hmm. Then he gets in, he ends up doing another eight years. He got sentenced to 10 to 20 years oh, wow. because he randomly went up to a couple, a man, a boy oh. and a girl, and he basically beat the guy and then sexually assaulted, raped his girlfriend and he got caught sentenced to 10 to 20, but he did eight. Now he was married. He, for somehow he got married. What? When? To a girl named Edith and she'll come into play later. Was she like a a jailbird? No, she went jailbird. This was like his trans. I'm so I'm kind of shooting through his life. This is his transition after the air force. Before prison. Right after prison, that year, he did six months, he escaped, then he did a year in prison in Georgia, then he gets out, he meets Edith, his wife. Now, Edith, now he's like 24 or something, 24, 25. She is the first, well, she's the first of the human species that he has copulated with. Yeah, so he is... Good for you, bud. So he feels how great it is to be, you know, with a woman. With a human, yes. With a human. And he it just it changes them. Then sure. so most of his crimes after this point mm, forward are sexual. Are sexual motive involving rape and of one two ten year old no. girls. Oh no. I had to throw that in there. Everywhere else says young girls. But Is I, no one safe? No baby farm animals? No kids? Like uh, I mean, he, the only thing he's not going after so far is men. So, yes, although that we the, know the farm animals. May I have do want to point out when he was testifying. So I'm I'm jumping forward between testifying in court, and he hasn't even been caught yet from our story's perspective. But 
it's good to know that all this information is coming from his mouth. Mm. He's saying to a courtroom full of people, this is what I did. And he said when he was in prison for those eight years, he had a- he would sexually assault male inmates. And oh. He didn't care. If it well, was a hole, he put go. it in. He does assault the males. So no one sued. Nope. Yeah. No. None. If he had can your kids, hide your wife, hide your, your husband, yeah. and hide your cows. He can stick it where it's going to be stuck. That's what I gotta say. If it's if it's round and it goes and it just you push through I it. I don't think you can want to finish that. No, no. He was getting it where it needs to be. Get Jen. Okay. All right. After that, his life sucked. So he got out of prison. I would argue it sucked before then. No, Go this. On. Yeah. So what? But after he knew it, how after sucked more. He, after he the George, he sucked in prison. Oh. oh. So after he got out of the Georgia prison that one year before he raped the uh, raped that couple. Now he used a pellet gun, not even a real gun. A small th- pellet gun. Like one of those airsoft ones. Or well, this is from the 70s, so it was probably... Uh... Not as cool as our bug rifle. Yeah, but so the Pelicans back then looked like real guns, right? They didn't have those little orange things on them and stuff. You know, that's yeah. a new development. But anyway, so after that, before he, raped, before he rapes that couple, he got married to Edith, and he was a fast food worker, but he soon got... Fired from that job because he tried to rob it. <laughs> he tried to rob the oh, well. store. Yeah, so he got fired there. And so his life's in shambles. His childhood sucked. He has no money coming in. He got kicked out of the armed forces. And if you get kicked out of the armed forces, you get his dishonorable discharge. And that shit ain't coming off. Ever. And that it's really hard to get a job with that. I wouldn't know because I'm honorable motherfucker. So, but there's a lot of guys that get dishonorable, and then I don't know what they do. A psychiatrist, so when he was in prison, a psychiatrist interviewed Garrow. This is before the manhunt. Remember, this is, this is, we're talking about the 50s here. This is when he was in his 20s. Okay. 1976 is where we started the story. So this is 1954. A psychiatrist actually called him, quote, an immature unstable young man with no direction and no plans for the future. And that is him exactly. All right. So now let's, that's pretty much his life. His life sucked. His family was heavily abusive, heavily alcoholics. Um, he was worked to death and he was having sex with farm animals. I don't know how much more I need to go into that. Let's get back to the manhunt, shall we? Yes, we shall. Yeah. Anything significant between the prison time and, and this manhunt? I mean, he's just, uh, like, he's just yeah. kind of fucking around in the woods. Yes, but yes and no. That's a great question. He had obviously killed many people. Before he killed people before the manhunt, but no one knew about it until the manhunt. Gotcha. Manhunt. When? What day was it, Jen? July 29, 1976. You weren't asking me, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. Nicole read my mind. I was asking her to speak for me telepathically. Thanks, Nicole. Wait, if you guys remember, more than one, he more stabs one. Philip Dombrowski with a buck knife multiple right. times. And then Karen, the friend with him, is like, what's going on over there? 
And he's like, I'll be done in a minute. And then, like, he stabs her in the heart, or him in the heart, uh, and then he's dead. And then they run to the restaurant. You guys remember that story? You guys were awake. Okay, so let's start back there. Now we got the manhunt. Talkmurder.com, see all these manhunt pictures. They're freaking awesome. Also, I got exclusive pictures. Well, not exclusive. They're from that dude's Facebook page, but... Okay, so now we have the manhunt. We have over 200 police officers. Are those we bodies have, in that trunk? No, that, this is just random pictures of the manhunt underway. Now, they use bloodhounds to try to get this guy out of the woods because the Adirondacks mm-hmm. is a huge mountain range in a circle, and this guy is an experienced woodsman. Now, here's the thing that happened. When the papers published, holy shit, there's a manhunt underway. A serial killer's on the loose, or a killer. They didn't know he's a serial killer yet. What What do you think happened to the tourism there? It increased. Everyone wants to go catch the guy. Jen, no. It decreased because they were scared of him. Oh, Everyone sorry. that was there camping... They left their baskets and their picnic blankets and, and their baskets full of jelly and peanut butter sandwiches there. I didn't so, know that they were hiding from Yogi. Well, Robert Garrow was actually living off the tourists that left their supplies there and just ran. To be fair, you didn't say what happened to the tourism in the woods. You said around that area. And if the people were in the woods, then how would they have access to the Jen, The only reason you would go to the Adirondack Mountains is to be in the mountains. That is like the smallest county in New but York besides the tourism. The mountains, if they're in the mountains and they're camping and they don't have, and they're living off of their PB&Js and p- putting up tents and having picnics, then how are they going to get access to the newspapers? How would they know? Everyone knew, Jen. Like, there was helicopters flying everyone. There's 200 plus cops, cop cars, sirens. I mean, everyone knew there was a helicopter flying over. With a speaker, they had recorded Edith, his wife, and his son. They went to the house of Robert Garrow, and they recorded the wife and the son saying, Please come home, Robert. Just drop your rifle. They knew they were looking for Robert Garrow. Yeah, they knew that. The the kids described him, and they... Oh, they figured it out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Plus, they found his car that was abandoned that I showed you. And the car had okay. hair. So they knew the guy that they were looking for. Yeah, they knew the guy. The, the car had hair from what was tested to be one of the victims that they didn't even know he killed. It was a victim that had a missing poster. They thought she just went missing somewhere. And now they find her hair in this guy's car. It's like, whoa, he's been on a killing spree, right? Got it. So they're flying around in a helicopter. They recorded his wife Robert, Robbie, please come home. Drop your rifle. Come home. I love you. And then the son, hey, Danny, please come home. They're blasting that out, uh-huh. and he's hearing it. How does that work for them? He's somewhere shut. Uh, Robert Garrow, he ain't coming out. Okay. Would have figured, yeah. This guy's already escaped from prison once. He's lived a life of crime so far. What do you think he's going to? Okay, my wife means that much to me. No, he's going to go to jail for the rest of his life. You better believe he's there to die if he has to. Mm-hmm. So, here's some more pictures. Now, they were stopping everyone. 
trying to find him. They had all these reports coming in. Now, this guy is in the mountains living off... Well, he had tourism, the people that would leave their campsites. Because people got scared. They were like, screw this. I know I paid $300 for this tent at REI. I bet it was on sale. But I know I paid a lot. But screw that. I ain't even got time to fold it up. I'm gone. So he was living off the food and everything else from them, from all their campsites. Right? Plus he was eating berries and snakes and crickets and beavers and whatever. You know, he's an experienced woodsman. Now, a lot of people would say, from some reports I read, well, he's not that experienced that those kids that he tied up got away. He would have knew how to knot it better. But the kids tied themselves up. So that's debunked. So this is him. The warrant that was issued for his arrest. This is the post, the wanted poster that came out. This is the car that he abandoned that had the the hair of one of his victims in it all right it finally comes to an end mm. so this how during the manhunt mm-hmm. robert garrett loses his glasses oh no and oh my god this is the end he like doesn't have appropriate vision i know that well sucks. <laughs> he lo- i mean like obviously you want this guy to get caught but like that's kind of embarrassing. Like, you get away with so much for so long. You're like, damn it, I lost my fucking glasses. Ah! You know what I can kind of see in vision when I think about this is, like, he's, like, crawling on the ground looking for his glasses like Velma from Scooby-Doo, and then he, like, crawls up to a police officer, and they're like, hello, Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking, like, Tucky from the Rugrats. Yes. All right. <laughs> he loses his glasses. So what does he do? He's like, I'm going to drive to where he lived, well, where he grew up near a town called Mineville. Without his glasses? Yes. He steals a car. Yeah. Um, he steals a car. He runs. And it's a fast, it's like a Pontiac 1969. It's a fast ass car. Like I was a looking firebird? it up. No, it's not a Firebird. I can't remember what it's called. It's super fast. He runs a roadblock, police roadblock. They try to capture him, but then the police car breaks down. Oh, oh man. No, but he keeps going. He goes all the way, and now they have his sister's house staked out, surveillance and everything. And his sister but he can't see them. wants him to be turned in, but he, she also she works with the police and is like, all right, give him a code like, say something on the radio so we know, because he's an experienced woodsman, even though they have it staked out, he still got in and out of the house without the cops knowing. The now, sister's house? Yeah, to get his glasses, new other glasses, right? So, and the sister had a code that the cops would know. It was like something like, oh, um, I got to do so and so's laundry. It was like the code word that the cops would know to come in and arrest him. He got away from the cop. He he eluded the cops more than once. Hmm. You know, number one because he was a really good woodsman. There were cops that came up to him and he just vanished into the woods because the cops aren't trained to climb mountains and jump ravines and eat berries, right? So, but he is. He grew up in that lifestyle, right? Mm. He knows how to do it. He knows how to get away. So, runs a roadblock all the way up to his childhood home. Mm-hmm. Now, his nephew, 16-year-old nephew, uh, this guy, 
His nephew, David Mandy, 16 years old, was carrying supplies to his uncle. Now, he was hiding in a thicket a half a mile away from his home, his sister, Charles Mandy, where Garrow had visited, right? So, they actually, that's his cousin, that's his nephew. His nephew was taking supplies and food. So, she knew he was there. Yeah, she knew. About a half a mile away to him, and then he got caught. The nephew, a police, drug him in the car and threatened him, you know, with going to prison or whatever if he didn't turn his uncle in. So, now, after this whole incident, once they caught the nephew, they knew where he was and they confronted him. And, in fact, a conservation officer named Hillary LeBlanc, not H-I, is H-I-L-I, H-I-L-I-R-Y. They called him Guy. Mm-hmm. Hillary LeBlanc. He was a guy. Yeah. They probably it, called him Guy because he had a girl's name. No, well, think about Hillary, it. Hillary, I think, is a, was a, um, back in the day, was a, used to be a man's name. Hmm. It was a unisex name. Oh. But he was a conservation officer. He wasn't even a cop. Mm-hmm. Now, he took a shotgun. He saw, now there was, it wasn't just him, but he's the one that shot. That's like the other day I had a lady come into work and her name was Kevin. Hmm. Weird. She's probably butch as shit. No, she wasn't. I, at first I thought she was looking for her her husband's membership, but it was her because she gave me her ID. Weird. They surrounded him, right? And now he's got a rifle. Keep that in mind. And he's shooting and they're shooting at him. Hillary LeBlanc loads that shotgun and shoots four times into the woods and shoots him, Robert Garrow, hmm. four times. Oh, wow. With a shotgun? In the back, yeah, but kind of at a long distance. Oh. Like in the shoulder and the back area. Nailed him. So he's dead. Oh. Right? No. No, he's not. No, because he's, he's in critical trial. condition. The manhunt's over. Now he's arrested. Dun, dun, dun. Now the story begins. It gets better, trust me. So this is a newspaper article um, that I found from the time. So it talks about when he was when he was on the manhunt. The title is Fear Runs Rampant. It says uh, the trooper stood in the middle of the road, held his hand up and motioned for the older woman to pull to the side. That was July 30th, 1973. Step away from your car, ma'am, the uniformed New York State Trooper said to the elderly woman. All right, so this article basically says everyone that when he was, even though they were camping, they were still getting the news, and everyone, I mean, gun sales shot up, right? People were buying guns. They're ready to protect. They were sitting... The people that lived there were sitting on their front porches in the rocking chairs with rifles pointed out to the woods. This guy, Jim Tracy, which I actually just talked to on Facebook. He, <gasps> he messaged you back? Yeah, he told us to no. shout him out. Yeah. He told you told you to what? Well, so, no, I asked him. I was like, hey, you want to shout you out or you got anything? And he, he is working on the book. He has been for a few years. And 
So go to his website. I'll post a link. It's a Facebook website, and it's got the complete Robert Garrow case. And he went around and to all the locations, like, for instance, that tree where the the boy was stabbed, Philip Domblowski. Mm-hmm. He took pictures of that. So you can see, kind of orientate yourself to where it is. And this is from Jim Tracy. He was the main article writer, the main news reporter for the whole case. And, yeah, so I... I told him I'd shout his book out. His book's not done yet, but I can't wait till it is. Because if you read all his articles, they're really well written. So I know the book is going to be excellent. It's going to be an excellent book. That's so yeah. cool, babe. That is cool. So I think about Jim Tracy. He was a boy when this happened. Being so young, and now he has got this obsession with the case, and he's been a news writer, you know, ever since all this happened. Even I think his last actual newspaper article was like in the 2000s. Well, this might be the, you know, this may have been the case that sparked his interest in investigative journalism. Well, here's what I'm saying about the cabin that he was living in with his dad, Mm -hmm. Robert Garrow. They were away. But Jim Tracy says he says he will never forget that footprint that he saw on the dresser (gasps) leading to the window of Robert Garrow. And the one thing that he noticed... In, their, in his own cabin. In his own there was, cabin. There was a footprint. Yeah, so they went... Robert Garrow went inside Jim Tracy's cabin. Luckily, they weren't there. Wow. Thank God, because he would have killed him. No. This is before he was caught. Because he, he was caught when he was shot. Yeah. Oh, right. So I thank God, right? Yeah. So he, like, ransacked their cabin. Or was squatting there? Yeah. No, he w- he was just ransacking you yeah mm. but he remembers seeing a footprint on the dresser a boot print wow. and not only that to verify that it was um robert garrow and not just someone trying to steal it jim tracy noticed that bastard took my mickey mouse shirt <gasps> and when robert garrow was arrested under his sweater was a mickey mouse shirt no yeah to a child's mickey mouse shirt I, I mean, I guess it's just like it a nightshirt or whatever. Yeah, like a one-size-fits-all or something. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So you were just a boy when you first heard about Robert Garrow in the, in the summer of 73. Yeah, so I was eight years old, but I knew the area that they were looking for him because my father had a hunting camp in Speculator, north of Speculator, between Speculator and Indian Lake. And uh, I'd been out there quite a bit following him around with my BB gun. Eventually, we got a call one night from the uh, Bureau of Criminal Investigation Unit of the New York State Police saying that uh, he broke into our camp. So as an eight-year-old boy, I saw how he had broken into the camp. He had taken a white card table, placed it in front of the door because he didn't want to break. It was padlocked from the outside, and he slid through the transom above the door. And when he was eventually caught three days later, uh, he had the clothes clothes on from the camp. Green Allegan, Michigan sweatshirt, a Mickey Mouse T-shirt, and a pair of plum-colored pants, and uh, which are still in the possession of uh, Hamilton County. Um, they have them in a cardboard box down really, there. to this day? To this day, along with his rifle hmm. um, at the Hamilton County Jail. So, yeah, that, that story would have touched me pretty Yeah, hard. so obviously... Yeah, like that so, man, who wants to... Who wants to... Like, the one person, if you really want to know this story... Like front to back, from the best perception, other than Robert Garrow, which is not possible, not possible, is this guy. So 
I'll put the face his Facebook link on the uh, website talkmurder.com. You can go and check it out and message him. He he messages back everyone, so it's not you know. Anyway, um, it's so, still cool though. Yeah, so because I mean, he could be someone who doesn't message back anyone. Yeah, and if you message us on our Facebook page, we will message you back as well. Yes, or on Patreon or on Twitter. All right, let me tell you how he got shot, and then we'll go from there. A 17-year-old Witherby resident describes Thursday how he witnessed the shooting and capture of Robert Garrow virtually in front of his home. This is from one of the local papers at the time. Richard Myers, a senior at Moriah, Moriah Central School, said he stood in a group of 15 to 20 persons and watched conservation officer Hillary LeBlanc of Boston Spa... That's the town, I guess. Fire at Garrow four times on the perimeter of the woods of Mount Tom Summit. I saw this guy kneel down. He shot twice kneeling, and, and then he shot twice standing, the youth said. He had almost reached his home, where he resides with his parents, Mr. and Mrs. William Myers, when troopers ordered them to stop the truck, he said. A portion of the road had been sealed off. I heard the dogs barking in the woods, the teenager said. Then I saw him, and LeBlanc shoots. He expressed relief that the incident was over and summed up the terror that he had seized that had seized the residents of the small hamlet of Witherby in Essex County. Last night I didn't get to sleep what damn it. Last night I didn't get to sleep too well. Oh, let's see. Sounds like me like every night. This a paper's so fucking old I can't even read it. Um let me see. Here's a sister's reaction. Hmm. This is from the Times Union. If you want to read that, Jen, just a little, just a little section or so. This is what his sister's saying. A sister's reaction. Oh, shit, I'm glad on. it's over. Wait, hold on. By Shirley Armstrong. I'm relieved it's over, but I wish it hadn't happened this way. I don't hold the police responsible for shooting him. It's just too bad all this had to happen. I still can't believe he did what they say. Robert Garrow's sister, Mrs. Florence Brooks, sat in a rocking chair on the front porch of her small frame house at, at 1023, 1028 Albany Street, late Thursday, trying to collect her thoughts. She had just learned that from her she had just learned that her brother wanted wanted in the slaying of young Schenectady camper had been wounded and captured near the home of an near the home of another sister, Mrs. Charles Mandy, at Witherby. Remember, he was going to Charles Mandy to get his glasses mm-hmm. and some other mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Yep. But so he, he to get to his Charles, to get to his sister's house, he blew by a roadblock mm. with, in a stolen car. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash MoneyScout. Better Banking is opening your new first Commonwealth Bank personal checking account with our online account recommendation tool and being entered to win wireless earbuds. First Commonwealth Bank. Member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Visit fcbanking.com for details. He looks like the spokesperson for um, for 
one of those farmers insurance. Yes, farmers. Oh yeah, oh, he farmers. does. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that's yeah, he does in that one because that guy's bald too. Mm-hmm. We are farmers. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So as soon as he was shot, everyone comes over there. I mean, they had like a thousand people over there. You know, it's almost like trying a, to they're see. like um, like executions. You know, people are like fascinated by like, oh man, they caught him. Yeah. Crazy. I don't know if I showed you this yet, but this is the uh, photo of him being shot. He's on a stretcher. Wow. Now, I want to point out, let's go to the second half of the story where it gets really interesting. Yeah. Can you remind me again what year he gets caught? Was it 70 something? 74? 77. Okay. 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 Are you sure about that? No. 1973. Three. Okay. He got, he killed those, killed that Philip Damblowski on July, July 29th, 1973. Okay. And he was caught 12 days later. Right. Now, he was caught because he got shot four times with a shotgun and you just saw him there. Now, um. But they knew that there was a killer on the, did they know that there was a killer on the loose before that four, group of four Folks, because like they knew that they were looking for this guy. Uh, they knew the only thing they knew was he killed Philip Dombolowski. Right. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name. I really well, don't know. Because he told the four Stop kids that that he was, had killed Stop, a lot Stella. of times before. All right. So he was shot. Now, Robert Garrow, he's in prison, and the whole time he's in prison, he he's in a maximum security prison. Mm-hmm. Now they already escaped prison one. They knew that he didn't just kill that one person because they found the hair of one of his other victims, right? right in the car. In the car, the exactly. Hair. Yeah, the Susan Pets. They found her hair. Mm-hmm. Now, but they also found something else. They found a map with a lot of red X's on it. Really, oh. twenty-seven to be exact. Whoa. And three of those X's were positive. Victims found the remains. Like they had already been found? They had been found, yeah. So So he was marking off where he buried these people. Exactly. And a lot of them were behind his house. That's quite a nice find for the police to have. Yeah, that's kind of like that book, The Death Diary. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple victims that he killed prior to this. One was Alicia Hayek. She was in summer school and Robert Garrow abducted her raped her, and then killed her. And then um, he buried... I'll, I'll show you... I'll tell you how he buried them in a second. Let's and see. they were not just women. That was... Right? Yeah, so Alicia Hayek, uh, July 11th, 1973. So when did he kill the... When July did he, 29th. Exactly. So this is a spree killer for you. July 11th, and they think there's plenty more before this. July 11th, Alicia Hayek was killed. July 14th, Danny Porter... And Susan Petz. Now, Danny Porter was the girlfriend or the boyfriend of Susan Petz. Remember, Susan Petz was the one that he abducted for four days and kept with him in the woods. Kept with him in the woods, right? Before finally killing her. July 20th, Danny Porter's body was found tied to a tree in Weaverton, Warren County. Now, Danny Porter was a 23 year old Harvard graduate and he was also working for the Kennedy family. 
So it became high profile, pretty high profile. Yeah. And he was it wasn't that he was just killed. He was literally killed as he was tied to a tree, just like that other guy. I mean, he would tie him to a tree and just stab him. You can't even do anything with that. Right. So now the manhunt finally ends. Now, he didn't sexually assault his male victims. No, not the male victims. We heard that in prison. Well, maybe, maybe. No one knows. Well, uh, you know, no one knows. And yeah, and his testimony said he did that, but I mean, I think he was pretty much into females. Well, at first he was into farm animals. Yeah. Yeah, but um, he. But then in prison he was, you know. Like this Danny Porter, he. he had people drop the soap. Hit him. Drop the soap. I mean, whatever you're into, I guess. Like he killed him and then took his girlfriend, you know. Um, like. Anyway. You know, um, it would have been messed up if he, like killed him had the girlfriend tied up and sexually assaulted the boyfriend while she was watching and then proceeded to have her for four days and rape her wow that that's really, really messed up Jen. that's really dark it is really dark i mean it's possible i'm just thinking i, I don't know like what like when i'm in this podcast mode like really dark stuff comes out i don't think like this normally mm-hmm. i think this is the new normal I think about this all day. All right, so here's what I want to get to. Okay, so you know there's a lot of victims, you know, and we can go through some of them, but I this is what I told you that wasn't the case. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand. This case is special in not just the criminal aspect, but also the legal aspect. It's known as the buried bodies case. Okay. Oh. Now here's Garo. He was shot with a shotgun. Well, he's got a map of all of his buried bodies, so there's nothing he can like exchange for reduced time. Just listen, Robert Garo. He was shot four times with a shotgun. So this is what he looks like in and out of court. What do you see there? A wheelchair. A wheelchair, and what else you see? He's he's chained to a wheelchair. And the troopers are actually pushing the wheelchair. Now, Robert Garrow was shot four times with a shotgun in the the back and the like the left shoulder, I believe. They sent him to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they all said the same thing. This guy's faking it. <laughs> he is not paralyzed. Robert Garrow oh, was saying he was paralyzed. Robert Garrow was pretending the entire time for years after this to be completely paralyzed. What? To his get special treatment enti- in prison? His entire time in court, he was completely paralyzed. But his doctors, all of his doctors, are like, "No, this guy isn't paralyzed. Paralyzed from the waist down. No, completely work. paralyzed." Yeah, from like, like he couldn't walk. And the doctors were like, why are you troopers pushing him around in a wheelchair? He can walk. He's making a fool out of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe. He's humiliating them. Maybe. When no one's watching him? When no one's watching him, like when he's completely alone in a cell, he's out doing push-ups and squat thrusts. How did they not this because they just take it at face value he said he was paralyzed he's paralyzed and he if you say you're paralyzed you're just gonna sit there unless someone and how is he lifting his leg i don't know it's got something on it so 
they were pushing him the entire time through the court proceedings, right? Oh my god, I bet he's getting a freaking kick out of it. Like, yeah. oh, I can't do it. Can you wipe my ass for me? He's not doing it for that, and I'll tell you why. All right, so. He's doing it for sympathy points. Now, no, not that either. Listen, mm-hmm. I'll get to that later. He's doing it so he can't take them to the bodies. When he was, no, no. When he was still on the manhunt, right? His old attorney, Frank Armony, some people call him Frank Armani. <laughs> it's definitely Armony, though. Frank Armony helped him once before. Now, during the manhunt, Frank Armony put out in the newspapers and everything else. He said, if you see this, Robert, give up, put down your rifle, and I'll represent you. Now, this guy, he's a great lawyer. So, and I'll, I'll show you a video of him later. So, but he said he couldn't do it alone. So he got another attorney as well. So his other attorney, there were two defense attorneys with uh, Robert Guerra. The other one was Francis Belge. I think they just called him Frank Belge. So both of them, and they went back and forth. They're like, I, I we shouldn't take this guy. I mean, he's, he's clearly guilty. He's killed probably a shit ton of people. He's raped 10-year-old girls. He's, like, How, yeah, what's murdered 16-year-old girls. Like, he's just a really bad guy. Like, we shouldn't take this on. But they finally decided to do it. Now. But, what? like, do they have... And this is just kind of a general question. When a, a lawyer takes on a case like that, when it's, like, friggin' doomed, do they do it for publicity? They, I mean, the, the guy can't possibly have a ton of money to pay them. For taking on the case, do they just take it for the fame, even though they're going to lose? Like, why did these guys take the case? I don't know, but it, um, I don't know why they took it. It's a good question. I mean, even if they were, de- especially if they were like debating whether or not they should take it, I would be like, mm, you don't have a chance in hell, dude. Because at that point, the only thing you're trying to do is like get him to get insan- an insanity plea to avoid the death penalty. You remember I told you about Susan Petz? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. She was missing, and they had a very suspected idea, because they found her hair, that Robert Garrow did it. Mm-hmm. Robert Garrow paralyzed Garrow, right? <laughs> Tells us two defense lawyers. He says, he's like, hey, you take that napkin right there. Pulls out a pen, and he's like, Draws a little map. He's like, if you go here, you'll find a body. Here's where it gets very gray line-ish. Because as an attorney representing the defense, Mm -hmm. there's something called uh, client-attorney confidentiality. So he just dropped a bombshell on these two attorneys. And they didn't believe him. So they went. Why wouldn't they believe? He him? said, "Listen, I that Susan Petz. Here's how I did. I killed her. I picked her up, and then around my house, there's an abandoned mine shaft. I dropped her down a mine shaft. If you go here and then look at that, you'll find her." They didn't believe him, so they went down there. The two attorneys went down there. No one else knew about it. They went down there, flashlights and everything. They found her body and took <gasps> pictures. Now they're discussing. Hey, we can't tell anyone about this because our duty is to our client and this will incriminate our client. 
But didn't they? Wasn't there already a map found, or was that not checked into evidence? No, no that that was a map of the Adirondack Mountains. That's a that's a different map. But Th- this I- is this is not near the mountains. This is his home. This is a diff- these are different bodies. Oh, oh, yeah. So they were so okay. Separately, there was a map that had X's on it, but that yeah, was yeah. the Adirondack Mountains. Yeah. Mountains. So they were okay. looking for so this girl this Susan Pets. They were looking for this girl Susan Pets, and he was like. I know where she is because I threw her down a mine shaft. They went there and they were astonished. They took pictures. They were like, oh, my God, this guy literally told the truth. And there is this decomposing body down in mine shaft. But they can't do anything. They can't do anything about it because it would incriminate Robert Garrow, their client. And that will break the client lawyer confidentiality agreement, which is illegal. Hmm. But but, so they're in this like they're, they're in this really weird situation where you have family members of Susan Pet's family that may still think she's just missing and they're still putting wanted posters out and they're gotcha. still grieving over that and they could get the relief if they knew. Yeah. But the lawyers kept this a secret for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, a year. Wow. During the trial? During the trial. And the whole time they were trying to think of ways <laughs> maybe that they can let the judge no like without them knowing that they would do it maybe send them an anonymous letter or something you know mm-hmm. but they could be disbarred from if they were well no it's not that it's and this what is what if they told someone to take a walk like you know where there's a really nice area you could try hiking is this area and there's this really cool mine shaft down there no you guys aren't getting a point you don't want to do that if you're a good attorney a good attorney, they have they have to be one hundred percent about their client. Right. Yeah. If they would have said, "Hey, oh yeah, my client just admitted to a dead body, and here that. it is." Yeah. Like that incriminates him, and you are breaking the bond, the trust bond with your attorney. Right. A lawyer is built on trust. That that system, that ju- that system, that legal system, the lawyer bond that. Is built on trust, but like after the like, let's just say after the trial. After the trial, you uh, can't convict them. Right. No, but, but there's already she was, other murders. But she wasn't. But but he wasn't being con- he wasn't being charged with her murder because they didn't know that she was dead. The the but family they, or anyone. But they could be. He could be convicted of that murder later. Right. So like, what if after the trial? This is just a hypothetical. After like at, they keep this for after the trial. After the trial is over, they have, like they have no evidence con- connecting him to to her death other than the piece of hair. But they don't know she's dead. So like after the trial is over, they don't tell someone that there's a body there. They just say, hey, like you should go check out this area. It's really cool. And then someone else. Finds the that body. would be breaking the bond. Yeah, I feel like you still can't do that as a lawyer. I mean, you you can't you. But if you don't mention you the can, body, you can no, you can't. But you, you guys are missing the point. Like the point is, a, a lawyer's main responsibility is to protect his client. And if you go, hey, go take a walk it. over here, yeah. you're not protecting your client, and that breaks down the legal trust that has been built for hundreds of years. When you can't even trust your lawyer, yeah. if everyone knows that your lawyer's gonna. You know, you go behind your back and rat you out. Then why even trust? Not only that, but he he confessed to another one. Same circumstance in a different area. So he's clearing his conscience by admitting to someone. And they found him in a shallow grave right behind his old child home. That's fucked up. He's clearing his conscience by admitting this. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's trying to get a plea bargain. But he can't. Yeah, he can. 
But he's admitted to his lawyers. But they can't tell. Exactly. So how's he going to get a plea bargain? Because they, the lawyers, and this is what they did, they went to the, the, the prosecutor and said, hey, we have information on other... Cases. On other buried bodies. That's why it's called the buried bodies case. They said, we know where other buried bodies is of Robert Garrow's, and we would like to exchange that information for a plea bargain for him, a lesser term or something. Wait, so they you can't just dis- you can't Disclose. share that information, but you can still use it. No, no, no. If he ex- if oh, he, so he wants the they, police to know. He's telling them so that he can get a plea guard. He's trying to bribe the police with more information. Yes. Ah. Oh. But the lawyers, a good lawyer, is not going to rat their client out. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's up to the client. If he's like, no, I don't want this. Out. I don't want this out. Then they can't say anything. Ah. You know. So because he, it breaks down that bond, yeah, that trust did bond. Did he want it out? He wanted it out because he was trying to get a plea bargain. Huh. He said, I know where other bodies are. I'm but surprised it, he is still even able to get some sort of plea bargain with how many people. So what but they will give the, Here's how plea this. bargains work, though. They give you a plea bargain because if he's getting, if they just give him life in prison, he'll never say where their bodies are. And the parents and the loved ones will suffer and grieve because they don't know what ever happened. But if he was like, all right, we'll give you 40 years and you tell us where they are and then we'll find them and then you'll get 40 years. Then the, at least the family gets closure, right? He mm-hmm. still gets a lot of time. Does that make sense? That's how plea bargains work. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to use that information. But that's the thing. That's what this case is. Because is it ethical for a lawyer to hold that information from a grieving family that don't doesn't even know their daughter was murdered. If he doesn't get the plea bargain. But that's the thing. Like, He's what side are you guys on? Do you get? Do you guys agree that the lawyers should have kept those two bodies, or you think they should have told the prosecutors? Well, I, I, okay. So I see the point of um, you, you trying to use it as a bargaining chip to get a reduced deal. But I, I mean, I do. Like you were saying earlier, like ultimately the lawyer's job is to protect their client. And for any lawyer out there, like if you're a client, if you're arrested for something, you have to be able to trust your lawyer Mm -hmm. and know that no matter what you tell them, Mm -hmm. they cannot say anything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So for like you can't do it in a roundabout way. You can't do like anything that you say. So like I agree that that trust must be maintained. Mm -hmm. But but where's the limit is if there's two dead bodies out there and possibly more. And the lawyers have to live with this secret for a year. I don't think there is a way ar- around the confident. There's not a way think, around the confidentiality. I think All they know can, what they're signing up for when they take the bar and get, and get sworn in. I know that, case. but like the public doesn't see it that way. Susan Pitt's father showed up at the office. Armony was so shaken by the meeting that Alicia Houck's father never got past the receptionist. Was invited to his office. And when I got there, his girl said he wasn't in. And I called several different times for an appointment, and I was refused. I don't think I would have been able to stand the pressure of that meeting. I just couldn't trust myself to meet him face to face. Didn't you think that there was a factor of just common decency here? I don't know if I can explain it, but to me, it's a question of which is the higher moral good. Between women. 
But the question of the Constitution, the question of even a bastard like him having a proper defense, having adequate representation, being able to trust his lawyer as to what he says. Against what? As against the fact that I have a dead girl, the fact that her body's there, as against the breaking hearts of a parent. But they are, it's a terrible thing to play God at that moment, but in my judgment, and I still feel that way, that their suffering is not worth jeopardizing my sworn duty or my oath of office or the Constitution. Armony considered tipping off the parents yeah. or the authorities anonymously, but in the end he decided that even that would breach Robert Garrow's confidence. What is the point about applying these principles to a piece of scum like Garrow? Well, because if it doesn't belong to uh, a piece of scum uh, to, uh, to, to the worst of us, then it can't belong to the best of it. Where do you make the exception? Judge William Enterman, the former Lake Pleasant DA who prosecuted Pretty Robert Garrow, thinks Harmony was right yeah. not to tell... Yeah, so it's like... It's, I mean, I can imagine it's a ton of pressure because you know that information. Yeah. I think all you can do as a lawyer is encourage your client to be willing to share that information. That's why I'm glad as a counselor that, like, there are exceptions to the confidentiality clause. Like, yeah. as far as, like, like, as far as being able to, you know... Like, if someone's going to harm themselves or harm someone else, like, we're not sworn to that, like, we can't tell anyone else. Yeah. Like, that's something that we have to do. It's our duty to tell someone that's that something is happening. And that's about keeping, you know, it, it's far different than defending someone in a legal case, you know. That's life or death in some cases, you know. So I think yeah. it's our responsibility to make sure that that information gets out to the proper authorities. But as far as anything else, like... There is a there is a confidentiality. There's there's privilege between what you say to to your counselor, you know. Like and 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 it, it does. It goes back to trust. Like if you're if you want if you want someone to open up to you and talk to you about the the deepest inners of their soul and what they're struggling with, like they have to know that it's confidential. That it that, that it's not gonna, you know. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So. With the the using this as a plea, are you are you about to tell us he's out of prison right now? Uh, no, hold he's on. He's dead. No, hold on. I'll show you what. All right, so it ruined this guy Army? his law practice. Really? Yeah, because people were fucking pissed. The discovery of a dead person, the resulting investigation of the scene of the body, the postmortem examination, can lead to a lot of evidence potentially incriminating your client. The Actually, the best thing for the lawyer to do if he's given that information is to keep it confidential. But Enterman scornfully rejected Armini's attempt I, to I plea bargain with that. with that information. Armini hoped to swap Garrow's confession to the Hauk and Pets murders for an insanity plea in the Dombluski killing, convinced that Garrow would spend the rest of his life on a psychiatric ward. I thought it was reprehensible. Why did you think that was reprehensible? Because they were trying to make a deal whereby this guy would get back on the street at some point within the not-too-distant future. I don't think that's in the best interest of society, nor in a proper defense. But a lawyer has an ethical duty to be as zealous as he can 
in the defense of his client. Within certain limitations, the lawyer is also an officer of the court. And as such, he's responsible to the public and to the court. In June 1974, Garrow was returned to Lake Pleasant to stand trial for the Dumbluski murder. Hostility toward Garrow and his lawyers ran deep. When the lawyers took up residence in a local inn, even the proprietors, John and Jenny Zeiser, became targets of ostracism. People in the community seemed to take sides. In what way? I don't know. They were just kind of like mean. Some wouldn't even speak to you if you'd go to the post office. Several of them stayed away. They didn't come to see us. One individual actually accosted me on the courthouse lawn and uh, said, why are you harboring these people? Meanwhile, the lawyers were confronted by threats of violence. Like the morning, Armini found a death threat scrawled on his breakfast napkin. It says here that we can take you out any time. That kid killer better not get off. That's uh, fairly unambiguous, isn't it? That's you know? crazy, yeah. When the case came up for trial here at the... So anyway, what do you guys think about that? Um, I mean, I disagree with the guy that was being interviewed. Like, is it reprehensible that, you know, that, like, he, that he did what he did? Yes. But if, if you're going to bargain and you can get that information out, like, for a insanity plea you can like it's up to the judge and the jury to decide how long he he spends in the uh you know in the psych ward you know what i mean so like if they they give him maximum sentence maybe he'll die there yeah i mean it's it's not up to uh, one person to be judge jury and executioner yeah so you know that's why we have different people to decide different things so i think that I mean, it's a tough because I I kind of, you know, you guys know me, I'm very empathic and I I you know, I feel I feel f- and empathetic, I guess what there's two different words meanings, but I feel for the families and you guys know <coughs> most of the time I feel for the victims and all that, but at the same time I can't disagree with the lawyer's decision because as a professional with similar, you know, constructs you have if you you're you're sworn to your duty and i i think that you know they should have taken that plea deal i think the police should have i think it would have been more beneficial to society that if they did and i think that like you know i think that they i, I think it would have benefited us if if it were that case and if it if they did take the plea deal then maybe you wouldn't be having this conversation because the other people would have been found and you know well like, they were found not right, like found. they so they took he took they took the plea deal right oh yeah he did plead because no because they no? did find the bot or, or, or how did it come out then a year oh, well, let me say oh all right let me say this all right so he told the lawyers there were two bodies that the police didn't know. Susan Petz was found down a mine shaft, as I said. Mm-hmm. And then Alicia Hayek, Howick, the next day, um, they went to the Oakwood Cemetery property in Syracuse. And that's where Garrow said he had hidden the girl back in July, you know, right before mm-hmm. this whole manhunt started. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another thing. Um, 
He said that he hid the girl's body behind the shed. They couldn't find the girl's body. They returned to the jail and had another interview. Now he, Garrow, prepares a map exactly where he placed the girl's body. So they return back to the Oakwood Cemetery, and they've been search, searching the brushes, the bushes for hours. They found Alicia Hayek, and uh, her body was in an advanced state of decomposition, and her skull, according to Armony, her skull had been torn from her body. Oh my god! So that's and and Frank Garrow's a big man. He's I mean he's. You know, over six, six, three, six, four, like three hundred pounds. He's a woodsman, he's a big guy. So he literally tore her head off. Oh my right? god! Now here's the thing. They, How? Okay, so after, after she was dead, like did he cut her first? I don't know. It didn't say because she was already decomposing. That's frightening. But okay, so Belge, the attorney Belge, picked up the skull, placed what? it above the girl's shoulders, then photographed the remains. Which what? is altering the scene of the crime yeah. and tampering with evidence. That's so, okay, do I do want to say that the attorneys, the That's two attorneys, did get sent to the Supreme Court to testify for themselves because they hid this secret, if you will, for a year. And them being an attorney, I would imagine it's like attorneys facing attorneys, and they literally, they were on trial. They could get sent to prison. If they were for found not, guilty. For not sharing yeah. the information. But they looked through all the Constitution and all the laws and everything else. And the only thing that they committed that was wrong was... Tampering with evidence. Tampering with a, a yeah. body when they were doing that. That's the only thing. Yeah. Our, that's, that's no, th- it was like... It was something, a, a really obscure law, like a knowing where a body was and not reporting it to the morgue or something. It was so, so weird. That's the only thing they got. And and only one of those lawyers were indicted. And it wasn't very big, you know. But they the thing is like the thing that makes the case so interesting at least is because like now we know like attorneys like you know there's no line like you hmm. and it makes it I agree with it because like you have to be able to trust your attorney and if if the attorney rat you out then that's breaking down the 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 law you know the the legal system hmm. i like the you know? point that he made like if like you can do that for robert garrow like scum of the earth like who's to say he yeah can't do who, it who draws that yeah. line yeah exactly well, so can i can i clarify like how it got to that them getting in trouble or whatever so so they so the lawyers say they've got these two bodies yeah. that they know about. They want to argue for a plea deal of insanity. Yeah. It's turned down. That plea deal is turned down. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So they don't. So he doesn't get that plea. But then people are like, what the fuck? There are two bodies and you can't say anything. What do you mean? And then it just kind of blows out into like them having to go in front of the Supreme Court to defend the fact that they knew that there were two bodies. He was finally found guilty of murdering Philip Domblowski. Um, July 1st, 1974, Garrow sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for that murder. Okay, just now, one murder. That's July 1st, 1974. That's about a year after the manhunt right. started. Mm-hmm. So, keep that in mind. Now, the story gets even more interesting. All How? Right. Huh? How? He was... 
sent to for his first few years to incar- incarceration at Denimora and Auburn Prison. Now this guy's in a wheelchair. Oh right, I forgot oh, he yeah, was yeah, faking yeah. it. Yes, oh my god. He is still faking it. Oh my god. He is still faking it. And the police are pushing him around in a fucking wheelchair, and he is not a little dude. He is a big boy. And you don't think it's because he's like getting a kick out of the police pushing him around? And not only that, the entire time he was in prison, he was suing the prison. He was suing his own attorneys. What? He was suing any officer that said anything wrong to. He was suing everyone. For frivolous things, he was suing. He sued the prison. They had to move him to another prison because they didn't have proper wheelchair access. He was suing everyone. Oh my god! They were getting so sick of him. I mean, that is a problem across America. But go on. But he was faking it. Yeah. Oh my god! Garrow filed a ten million dollar lawsuit against New York State, citing these and other complaints. That he, you know, I feel like you shouldn't have the right to sue someone when you're in prison. Yeah. Tom Co- or Todd Kohab did. You no, know, I feel like that's just. Did not Todd Kohab try to sue the oh, prison? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, well, he yeah. Did. But I feel like that's just like not shouldn't really be a thing. I mean, okay, I get so, it if there's like serious injustices, but yeah. like, well, he was suing for everything. Money is stupid. Like you don't have damages that are that costly in yeah. prison. You know so I mean? they cut him another deal. Oh, God. Okay, they said, hey, stop suing everyone, you asshole. What we're going to do is we're going to... they actually said that. Yeah. We're going to move you... Meanwhile, he's still in a wheelchair. We're going to move you from the Danimora prison to the Fishkill prison in New York, which is more wheelchair-friendly. But he doesn't care about that. Because he's par- not paralyzed. It's... He wants not community. maximum security. <gasps> it's less Shut secure. Up. Okay, so this guy <laughs> does he fucking escape again? <laughs> this guy gets moved to a minimum security prison. No, okay. no he's fucking kidding me. <laughs> now here's how it goes down. This is like Shawshank Redemption, but like you don't have sympathy for the guy in prison. The doctors not only were saying this guy. He's faking it, and not only is he faking it, but he's getting really strong. Who is who are the doctors telling this to? The police officers, the the correction officers. They're like, "Why?" He's like, "Stop pushing him around." He is faking and it. Meanwhile, the police officers, and he's just like, "I can't move." And meanwhile, the police officers are saying it because they don't want to get sued, right? Yeah, something like, like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, like, they yeah, they're on pins and needles. Yeah. So. And and plus, got I think it. about it, you got a, an inmate sense. in a wheelchair, and you think he's paralyzed because they. I mean, if you see someone paralyzed, you're not going to question it. So, are you going to be a little more yeah, relaxed? Because if you mistreat someone that's in a wheelchair, even if they're not paralyzed, you're a dick, and you can get sued for that. And he was clearly suing everybody up their ass. So even though the doctor was like, "Dude's not paralyzed," he's like, "Well, they're gonna he's gonna fucking sue me if I." And don't. he's getting stronger, which means. In his long time, he was jumping out of his wheelchair and doing... He actually showed his lawyers, his attorneys. He's like, hey, check this out. Check out how many one-arm push-ups I can do. (laughs) He's like, boom, boom, boom. So his attorneys knew that he was fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his attorneys knew. Wait, and yet he sued his attorneys. Yeah, he was trying to sue everyone. That's why they moved him. But he didn't care. All right, this what guy. What's he suing his attorneys for? Just anything, anything. Oh, they didn't. The lack of representation. All this. He didn't care about the lawsuits. Oh Robert Garrow is not a stupid guy. He doesn't give a shit about lawsuits. He's 
clearly highly he, the entire entire time the only reason he was doing it and pretending to be paralyzed was to get in a minimum security prison so he could escape so he can have that one chance to get the shit out and he took it okay. and he, here's uh-huh okay oh my god so now the prison was called Fishkill New York Prison. I don't think it's still in business. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find it. Probably not if they keep on losing prisoners. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, one got out to. Oh, How look. many did you lose? That's six. From 1973 to 1978. Oh, all right. So from 1973 to 1978, an incredible 32 inmates had escaped from the prison. Oh, <laughs> I was like kind of kidding about that. <laughs> then, due to Garrow's. Medical condition, and I'm doing the quote symbol um, that no one can see. He was placed in a housing unit called the Elderly and Handicapped Section. Like Florida <laughs> and Orange is the New Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now. Which we have to finish. Yeah, we do. I think we have like two episodes left. Yeah, that's not too bad. Now, his son, 18 year old son. Two of his inmates. Uh-huh. Oh, he's 18 now. I, let me show you how this goes down. You guys, right you, Jen, you were asking, like, how can this get any better? This is where it peaks. This is really fucking interesting right here. I mean, that lawyer thing is pretty interesting, I yeah. thought. But this is really good. Yeah, I thought, like, I thought we were peaking there. But yeah. This- <laughs> That's why this is my favorite story I've ever read. I can see. I can see that. It's my favorite. Because the guy just... He just fucking just played everyone. And they were pushing him around in his wheelchair for years. And he is not a short, tiny guy. Like, he's a big dude to be pushing around. And he's fucking faking it. (laughs) Dick. And he was only doing it so he can be transferred to that minimum security prison. This guy is just like... Oh, here's a... a, One of... A man of many colors... So, all right, one thing, if you're, if your inmate is handicapped, are you going to be as watchful? Are you going to have your gun ready to fire no, at any time? they can't run. They exactly. Can't run. You're not going to think he's just going to jump out and try to kill you, right? Surprise. Now, his inmates is a, a couple. Vincent Scabiachi, who was already serving a prison term, and... Dorian Sabiachi, they admitted to the judge to helping smuggle a gun into prison for the killer, Robert Garrow. Now, the gun, I thought it was really interesting, was a 7.62 millimeter Spanish-made pistol. Now, here's how they did it. The inmates contacted Robert's son, his 18-year-old son, and said, here's how you're going to smuggle it in. Ew. His no, not in his <laughs> butt. Oh my god, what the fuck? Why is your mind going? How else does it get anywhere? How else do you smuggle something no, in prison? Like I don't understand. Home. Well, that was stupid, Jen. Okay, he his son gets an eight piece. I don't know what that is. Me either. That's disappointing, Jen. Well, uh, a drum kit. KFC eight piece. Oh, he gets the KFC bucket. And here's yeah. what he does. Oh my gosh, KFC would be I know. So <laughs> clutch. I was right gonna now. make that the hint. We tried to stop on the way home, but there's none in Mount Pleasant. No, there mm-hmm. aren't. Maybe we should open one. Maybe it costs less to franchise a KFC than it does a Panera. Yeah, way Possibly. less. Panera is expensive. Um, like there's a there's a KFC in Somerville. 
You know what I'll do, guys? Mm-hmm. When I get the rotisserie chicken, either we can do it on when Friday. When you get the rotisserie chicken. It's like you've been saving up for this rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Listen. When I finally get that rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Listen. When you have less than $20 to your name, you have to save, okay? <laughs> so, when... <laughs> well, I wasn't kidding. My side is broke. Um... Anyway, so when I get the rotisserie chicken, I can stop at KFC and get, like, their mashed potatoes and some coleslaw. No, stop at Bojangles. I know I do like KFC's mashed potatoes way better. They're really good. They're way better. Maybe I'll get a side of boneless. If you go to go to KFC, get their mashed potatoes, then go to Bojangles, get their macaroni. We're, like, planning a feast for Friday. I thought we were I having thought we were fire. Being, I thought we were being healthy. I, we're having rotisserie chicken, not fried chicken, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's healthy. Yeah, okay. but all those other things are not. I'll get a salad, too. 18-year-old. Okay? Old... You can put the stuff on a salad. Mashed Perfect. potatoes on salad with gravy. Mmm. Eight. Mm, have you seen that South Park? Work. With I, a... Do you think that gravy would be good on lettuce? No, what? No. That's so Why not? It's like hot dressing. You remember South I Park? Would say, I would say it needs to be cold. Like Jen, did you say like, KFC you know you, South Park? Do you do turkey sandwiches cold or hot? Like leftover turkey sandwiches? Uh, hot. I don't know, cold. Like for Thanksgiving? Yeah. Guys, please. Uh, uh-uh. no. You gotta heat up the turkey. It's eleven thirty. Sometimes I do it cold, but mostly I do it hot. It's I prefer to have it hot. It's eleven thirty. No, no, it's not. not. It's nine thirty. It's nine fifty. <sighs> All right, so let me get started. All right, so his eighteen-year-old son goes to visit him in Fishkill Prison. He's got a bucket of chicken. He's got a bucket of hot KFC chicken. Except there's a gun in the now, KFC chicken. They have like a bone. They oh my have God, metal. I really fucking want some KFC. They right have now. metal detectors back then. So what does he do? He's like, well, he's like, hey, I got this hot chicken. Do you mind holding this chicken? He gives it to the guard, and he goes to the metal detector. Oh, eight, all clean. All pe- eight pieces. He probably even gave him a piece or whatever. In the bottom of that KFC chicken. In a little baggie was that gun. So that's how he smuggled it in. Now, mm. how does how how does an inmate escape from the elderly about that chicken? I'm so sorry, Jen. How does an inmate, an handicapped inmate, escape from the elderly and handicapped section in a minimal security prison? Easy, probably pretty easily. Are you playing footsies with me? No. Oh, sorry. How does he escape? I was gonna say, Nicole, jeez. Does he does he climb through a hole that he's been digging for two years? Or does he just walk through the fucking door? Uh obviously he goes through the hole in the wall that he got. With he walks stone. through the door and he has a gun and the one officer that would stop him, he points the gun at him, is like, I'm I'm gonna escape now. Oh my god. <laughs> Worst jail ever. Yeah. <laughs> Or best jail ever, depending on what your opinion is. So now he's There's walking. Like nothing beyond this one guard. Guy, like, what the guys, fuck? this it's minimum security. This is the crazy thing. This guy's been paralyzed, and now all it's of a, a sudden, miracle! a miracle. Jesus, God has, has granted me the ability to walk, and now so, you're going to die. So let me go. He's like in a wheelchair. I mean, how crazy is this? And now all of a sudden, he's walking out the fucking front door. What a genius! Why do you think I like, like this story so much? Because it's something that you would do. And not only that, but he's been working out like crazy because the doctors were like, not only is this guy not paralyzed, but he is working out and getting super fucking fit. He's going to escape. Like, what the and fuck? And so this is literally, he's he's in prison for a, a year. Yeah. 
That's it. Not only is he in prison for a year, yeah. but he also has like told he he also has two murders that no one can pin on him on because well, I mean, if they find it on their own accord, I guess that's different. But like, there's two murders that he confessed to his lawyers that no that you know. But they could pin on him later if others someone else discovers. That's what I just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, there's three parts of the story. Number one, the legal case is still one of the most. Studied legal cases yeah. in sure in like law. Yeah, I was gonna say they probably. Everyone knows it as the body, buried bodies case because what do you do if your client? That's never happened before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I that is the most true. studied, and the fact that no no murderer has ever done this before. Hmm. He had the biggest manhunt in history. They couldn't find him. He pretends to be handicapped for years, and then he walks out the front door. Like, this is the best story I have ever read. And no one knows about it. There's not even a book out yet. I mean, there might be... I'm sure, like, from a, just the law perspective, that's I'm, that's got to be something that they study in law school. Yeah, that's, no, they... That's a technical Yeah, that, they have to study that in law yeah. school. But I'm saying, like, you hear about Jeffrey Dahmer and all these other guys, they don't even come close. You know? Well, I think it's really because this guy actually has so much of a story following capture and conviction. Yeah. Like, most of the other people, like, their stories are really interesting. Murder and, like, M.O. and motive and all that stuff. But, like, after they get captured and caught, it's like, okay, they're in prison for the rest of their life or they're dead and you never hear from them again. But this is definitely different. The night of September looking good. The night of September eighth, nineteen seventy-eight. Here's how he did it. He just like in the movies, he placed a dummy in his mattress. No. Yeah, yeah. He made a little head. Yeah, just like the movies. How could they not see this coming? This is literally (laughs) because they thought he was he was in the elderly and handicapped section. I don't care. Okay. And he's in a wheelchair. And then he he doesn't... He gets unchallenged by what is, anyone. What does he make the dummy out of? Pillows? Yeah, pillows. Oh, my God. And he gets, like, a watermelon for the head? And he's got his wheelchair there. So, all right. All right, maybe cantaloupe? If the guards know he needs his wheelchair and his wheelchair is sitting right by his bed, they're not going to be like, oh, that's probably a dummy because, I mean, how would he leave without his wheelchair? Right. He walks out of his gate, or he walks out of his cell door. And he walks right out the front of the prison. No one even sees him or asks any questions. And since it's an elderly and handicapped, they don't even have the razor wire. It's just a medium-sized chain-link fence that he just crawls up and jumps over. Oh, my God. Now, did I tell you that the July 29th manhunt was the largest in history? Yes. Well, he likes to break his own record. Because uh, <laughs> now, now this manhunt that he just started is the largest in history. <laughs> he broke his own record. Wow. So now you have cops. They, they thought he went back to the Adirondacks where he felt comfortable. They, they could have... I mean, he could have been anywhere. The highway was right there to the prison. He could have uh-huh. stole a car. Uh-huh. He could be anywhere. He could be out killing again. Okay? But... Little did they know, when he jumped that chain-link fence, he fractured his collarbone. Hmm. 
So what he did was he found just 200 yards away from the prison where he could still see and get a good eye of what's going on. He burrowed himself in the ground and slept there for three days and didn't even make a sound. Now, all the cops... What? All the cops are all over the state of New York. No one is even searching that right. (laughs) No one is even searching the prison. Okay, they found him because he had a a transistor radio and they picked up the signal somehow that was coming just right over there. Right. And they found him that way. They, they could map his transistor radio because he was listening to the cops and stuff, but they found him right outside the prison. They found him 200 yards away from prison. Well, finally after, yeah, (laughs) which is probably why there's no books are anything about this because this whole thing is so embarrassing i mean there's been times in this case where he was on the first manhunt and cops would just let him go because <laughs> they I mean, it was like pretty spectacular up yeah. until like mom yeah so if, if he didn't if he didn't hurt himself he probably would have I and mean, he could have escaped forever you know and then all right so here's what happens a few days later the cops find the transistor radio that's linked to him they surround him, and then there's a shootout, and he dies. They kill him. Oh. Robert Garrow is dead. All that's left is a map with X's on it, and half the victims weren't even found, but three of them were linked to those X's. They're probably still out there in the Adirondack Mountains. And so The haunted Adirondack Mountains. They're haunted? Why didn't you say that earlier? Well, there's dead people out there. So, after... Garrow dies, is that when the lawyers can then release the information about the bodies? No, they re- they released it, like, I want to say after he got sentenced. Because it was a year, they kept it for a year. So, like, he wasn't their client anymore. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So that had to be scary as an eight-year-old boy to see that bootprint there yes. and know yeah. who that belonged yeah, to. Yeah, because it was huge. You know, you had the feeling he was still there. Um, obviously my father knew he wasn't, he, he, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was very scary, very scary. The whole two weeks was, was frightening. When he, he left our camp, he walked up the road to uh, Deerfield Lodge Christian camp, and that's where he stole a car. And that was the car that took him from Speculator to, uh, Mineville. That's when he blew through one of the roadblocks, right? With yes. that car? Yes. He jumps the roadblock and two troopers pursuing a car up 30 north headed to Blue Mountain Lake and they're right on his tail when uh, the police car blows a fan belt and breaks down. So so they break down and they don't have uh, radio transmission was sporadic up there was because that, of the mountains. Was that video of him going through the roadblock? Yeah, that's the roadblock video. If you go to talkmurder.com you can see the actual police video from the roadblock incident. The, the cop blew so a that fan. Was, that was him that just drove right through there. Yeah, Robert Garrow. I mentioned that earlier. He went to uh, his sister's house um, in Mineville, Witherby, and uh, had a, visited his sister, um, had her call his home and asked for his glasses, and she spoke in code. And police suspected that uh, family members were, were helping him, getting him food? Yeah, and- yeah, because they heard the, uh, they had the phone tapped and they heard the, uh, the code language. Well, Shawshank Redemption serial killer. Mm-hmm. That, was that was awesome. Good. I liked it a lot. That was crazy. It was, it was 
equally about the serial killing and also equally about the crazy shenanigans after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you just like, I mean, I can, but like, <laughs> it's just like, okay, I'm leaving now. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you have, all right, go to topmurder.com to see like the, the videos of him in a wheelchair are freaking ridiculous. Um, I literally can't believe they were pushing him around like that. I know. <laughs> I know. That's kind of, that really does suck for the police officers. <laughs> yeah. Because all the, every doctor was like, listen, this guy is fine. <laughs> like when they found he out that he like out walked the out door. there, like the guys that are actually pushing him were like, you son of a bitch. Like, yeah. I can't believe I've been pushing this asshole around <laughs> for freaking like that well, long. at least um, they shot him three days later yeah he wasn't gonna go back to prison that's the thing like he told his wife like i'm i'm not going back so he was only there for a year you know he was gonna die before he went back yeah i mean well, he, he was did. he was gonna die out the first time right yeah. after the manhunt hinted but the guy shot him four times with a shotgun and I've never met anyone in my life or know of anyone else that has been shot four times with a shotgun and has lived. Yeah. You yeah. know, because a shotgun is, you know, anyway. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of Talk Murder to Me. As always, we really appreciate you guys listening to us. Uh, we have a lot of fun making this for you. So if you want to give us some support additional to your uh, listening, visit our page on patreon.com slash talkmurder, or you can go to Facebook and uh, like our Facebook page and give us a recommendation. We really would appreciate that. And don't forget the iTunes reviews, because even though our bet is over... Uh, we still would really appreciate you guys uh, giving us some feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't. And one more plug. You can also email me at jen at talkmurder.com um, and give us some feedback there. So we want to hear from you. And hopefully you want to continue hearing from us. Thanks for listening, guys. Good night. It doesn't matter if I'm mad at him because usually he's trying to get some type of banter out of me, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm pretty sure you ain't going to be able to find it because you ain't like me, motherfuckers. Talkmurder.com and then click on them ads, motherfucker, because I need some dough, dog. No McDonald's for you. No. Okay. Here we go. I'm sorry. All right. So. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. At First Commonwealth Bank, we know better banking begins with better ways to do the things you need to do. That's why we've made it easy to open a new First Commonwealth checking account with our simple-to-use mobile account opening. Now, the same device you use to talk, text, snap, share, schedule, email, navigate, and watch can help you open a great checking account, too. Visit fcbanking.com from any device and upgrade your digital banking to better with mobile account opening. First Commonwealth Bank. Member FDIC. Member FDIC.